Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining the Cozy Corner Book Club with your hosts, Sean and Lindsay. Sean and I have been best friends for over 15 years, and we spent that time dreaming up books to write, houses to build, banana bars to open, I mean, the list just goes on and on. So last year, we decided to start a blog of our own, Sean and Lindsay's Best Friend's Guide to Everything. On the blog, you can find recaps of your favorite film franchises, meal prep recipes, travel guides, our best adulting tips, and so much more. Check it out at bfguidetoeverything.com. In addition to our blog, we started the Cozy Corner Book Club and Podcast. Read along with us and then find us on Facebook and Instagram for our weekly discussion questions. Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of the Cozy Corner Book Club. This is our June 2020 book and we read The Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern. This is a an interesting book. It's kind of a contemporary fantasy, uh, almost like a magical realism. It's it's hard to explain. So when Sean does a summary in a second, maybe it'll make more sense. But this is a book that came highly, highly recommended. Erin Morgenstern wrote The Night Circus, which came out, I think, several years ago. And I'd heard so much about that. And so I went ahead and... I, <laughs> funny story. This was supposed to be, I think, like our August book or something. But I accidentally read it early, (laughs) so I made Sean swap so that we could go ahead and do this one sooner because I just loved it and I couldn't wait till August to talk to him about it. And he's made it very clear that we are not allowed to talk about the book before we record. So I read it a month or so ago and absolutely loved it. I mean, I've told everyone I know about this book now. I immediately read The Night Circus as soon as I finished this and I can highly, highly recommend both of them. Uh, Just a reminder, here at the Cozy Corner, we do have a spoiler policy. So, this podcast will go deep into anything and everything about the book. I think we are going to try and keep the summary kind of spoiler-free, but we'll definitely talk about plot points throughout the book, or throughout the podcast. And uh, so, if you haven't read the book yet, and spoilers are something you're not a fan of, then go read it first, and then come back. Okay, so we will begin with a brief summary I'm going to be real with y'all. This was so difficult to even (laughs) attempt because normally I like to write the summary as I'm reading because for me it's a very good like way to reflect on what I've read to prepare for this podcast. But this is a very unique writing style. Mm -hmm. The best way to describe it for a majority of people is to imagine it's kind of like Game of Thrones where there's so many different plots going on that seem unrelated, but end up connecting later on. And that's what this is about, mixed in with a bunch of other four-page short stories that have very little to do with the main overarching plot. <laughs> well, they do and they don't. Yeah. They're, they're there to make a point or to introduce a small concept. Or to help bring more information about the world. But, you know, it's just a great book, but I'm a freestyle today. (laughs) Ultimately, that's what's going to happen. Before you start, though, I mean, all of these short stories, they they do come back into the main plot. Eventually, yes. And not just in, like, lessons, but, like, the actual characters from these stories make their way into the main plot. So just wanted to put that out there before you start. Hopefully that'll make it make more sense. 
So this book is written in a very unique style, but it's basically it's as if you took several different books and you pulled, I don't want to say random because it wasn't very random, but you pulled chapters from each book and you compiled it into one, like one book novel. So some of these stories, while they're connected and interwoven, you know, you start with the story about the pirate and the woman that serves him food and he tells her stories. And then the next chapter you're finding about, about an acolyte in a secret organization. And then you switch to chapter three, where we actually get to meet our protagonist, (laughs) Zachary, as I was corrected before this. Yes. Um, Always Zachary, never Zach. (laughs) So Zachary is a college student. He has a like he he loves video games and but he's kind of an introvert, kind of a loner, but he's all about, you know, trying to make a great game. It's ultimately what he wants to do and he does a lot of research not just with video games but reading, you know, kind of like us, we love to read. And he loves stories. Uh he finds a book at a library called Sweet Sorrows, but it has no author. Which causes a little bit of issues when he's trying to check the book out of the library. And because it's, oh, there's no author. And they're all like, I don't know what this means. Well, as he reads the book, he finds a chapter that talks about part of his life. You know, it, it brings up this memory of his of seeing a door that he chose not to open. Because he was unsure what was on the other side. We'll later learn that this was, in fact, a magic door of sorts that was a portal to the Starless Sea. The Starless Sea. Oh my goodness! I don't know why the, the title of, of the book the, the, the title of the book just went right out of my head. Oh my goodness! Um, so basically, a- after he reads this, he you know he's kind of freaking out because he's like. Has somebody already written my life? Like, you know, he so he has a lot of, you know, thoughts throughout this whole book, which is, has my story already been written? Like, am I just a character whose decisions have already been made? And, you know, what's with this book with no author? Why are there these other stories that, you know, seem to have no connection with one another? So he tries to research more about the book. He tries to find out, anything he can, and ends up going to a literary party, which is being put on by a charitable organization, uh, raising money, you know, for schools and for other public libraries to give them new books. Um, So he meets several strangers at this party. A woman in a fur coat who left something in his bag. A man who puts him on a mysterious errand and a woman who danced with him for quite a bit, who also was dressed up as where the wild things are. And I like just greatest mental image ever. Like mm-hmm. I'm be honest. Um, and he was really the only one that figured out what she was dressed up as, which I thought was fun. Yeah. She was Max from where the wild things are. And so uh, after the party, he ends up on the run from the organization where the, who is, quote protecting where the book came from 
and he finds himself in uh, this magical place, but it's not, you know, it doesn't appear magical at first, but it's a great library spanning several corridors and floors. It's like a giant castle, all go, you know, interwoven, where time doesn't exactly move properly. So he's trying to figure out what's going on with the story while actually meeting some of the characters from the story, even if he doesn't recognize them until later. Uh, he ultimately ends up uh, kind of falling in love, which, hey, a little a little romance. Not bad. It, it was very a subtle romance. Like, not very yeah. in your face. I liked that. I did um, And in the end, he kind of saves the world. Or does he? <laughs> That, that's the best I can do because this is a, because there's so many other things that actually are part of our discussion questions that I can't wait to talk about, but I don't yeah. want to put them into the actual summary because it feels like there'd be too many tangents. Right. Well, to kind of add a little bit to the summary, since we are freestyling here, <laughs> the, the, so Sweet Sorrows, the book that he finds, these short stories that you're reading at the beginning of, of the Starless Sea, the novel, are the chapters in Sweet Sorrows that he's reading. So then he, you know, he reads about the pirate and the girl and he reads about the acolyte and then he reads about himself. And so you're kind of following that same journey with him. Like you're getting to read those stories and the way they're written. I, I just cannot express enough that like you need to go read these. They're so beautifully written. So just mesmerizing. These just incredible short stories that hook you from the very beginning and even though they're only, you know, it's a chapter, so it, it's not more than 10, 15 pages, but still, like, it's enough to tell a full story. Yeah, and so, like, following up on Lindsay, specifically the Acolytes and the Guardians and the other members of these organizations, they each only get, like, maybe a four to eight page description of their initiation process and their duties, and it's told through the story of someone going through that actual process. And then it's like, so you understand how the organization came about, you know, what they did. And then basically you moved on to some of these other stories, which were so beautiful. Like mm -hmm. the story of the, you know, the sun and the moon and the moon falling in Ugh. love with the man. And, oh, and then the story the of fate and time. And oh, just remember... My favorite part, though, I will say, just before we even jump into the questions, oh, is in like the first, like first couple pages, they talk about the pirate who's in the cell, who's not always a pirate. Sometimes he's a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> and then later, like later, you do get to find out the uh, the identity of the pirate, and you're and you're just like, and he's just like, well, I was kind of a pirate, more of a rogue. But, I mean, my real title, I was a harbor master. And they just decided, eh, we don't need a harbor master no more. So, a single book takes Zachary on an epic adventure. What book makes you want to go on an adventure? Okay, for me, the first one that came to mind is actually the one that this book reminded me of quite a bit. Like, the writing style. And that's The Alchemist by Paulo Calo. Don't quote me on the pronunciation of that but the alchemist and if 
you haven't read that, I highly, highly recommend it. But it's written very similar, where it's more about the, it's almost like lyricism, the way it's written. It's just so elegant, so beautiful. And it's more about the, like, the themes than it is the plot, necessarily. And and The Alchemist, you know, he goes on this big adventure, and he's traveling to different places on this quest to find, um, like, his treasure, essentially. And that was that's one that just makes me want to travel the world because it's essentially what Santiago, the main character in that is doing. And so that's the first thing that came to mind when I read this book was one, it's written like the alchemist and two, they both make me want to go on these same kinds of big adventures to just discover other worlds, you know? So I can identify with Zachary in a number of ways. And one of the ways I, I do identify with him is his relationship with books you know you get depressed and you feel like you're you bottoming out and spiraling and going into a deep dark abyss and what he does is similar to what I do I grab a book because that book pulls me into a different place and so I don't think there's a single book that makes me want to go on an adventure because all of these books do that for me, one mm. way or another, especially when you are in a dark place like that. And so, like, you know, you, you, we find out this about Zach at the, Zachary at the very end. And, you know, he, he has this very honest reveal with, you know, us as the audience of, you know, the books were an escape to make sure he went to a different place than into a dark plot. And to me, that, that was very, a very meaningful thing to read because I feel like a lot of people have the same experience with books and to have someone just say it so openly the way it's so beautifully written, so honest, like it, it, it's part of what made me feel so much for this book. Damn. When you can really tell the author is sharing that same feeling, you know, that same just adoration for storytelling in all of its forms. I mean, that's what Zachary is studying in grad school is not just like he wants to be a video game designer. Like he wants to get involved with creative ways of telling stories through different mediums, but specifically video games, like choose your own adventure type things and so stories are so important to him and you can tell just through this book and also through the night circus which i know you haven't read yet please add it to your list (laughs) um that she just cares so much about it and wants to make sure that the reader is just as involved in the story as the protagonist is like you're not just reading the story you're in this story and she just has this way of just dragging you in where you don't feel like you're an observer you're an actual participant which is just such a neat thing to do in a story and made it really hard to put it down (laughs) i mean i totally agree because this book you know as much as it was you know the plot that she wrote it was we are all zach we are Mm -hmm. all pulled into these magical adventures and the way she just wrote it it was not necessarily what the book is about but why we love books because they talk about all sorts of stories. Like, they talked about the uh, 
the story sculptor who originally would create like you know base she was an artist and she would create a story out of what was at one point beeswax she would create stories out of you know mud so that way when it dried up you know it became something else she made stories where you know as the materials began to fall apart they were temporary they were fleeting they were stories you had to be there to remember and she had to be like nudged into making these concrete stories that didn't alter uh, because she followed the belief of stories change over time and they do and the best example of that is, you know, the stories in, that are associated with, you know, religions, um, you know, sacred stories and mythologies where, you know, every time we have this verbal history going down, details may get altered over time and the perception of the past changes. So, I mean, it's like, like I said, it's not just the story itself, but it, why we love stories, why we love books, and, you know, how far people will go to protect the sanctity of stories. Well, and that's what this whole book is really about. I mean, the Starless Sea and the, that library you're talking about, it's this deep, underground, special place that you have to go through a magical door to get to, and the whole goal is that they're protecting stories and the sanctity of them, and you just... I thought that was just such a cool idea. Yeah. You know, it's not just like, yeah, cool, read all these books. Like, it's they're they care so much about storytelling in general. And to go off on that, what was the name of the woman? Uh, uh not Anita. Started with an A. Which woman? The fur coat. <laughs> I, I read this like I, a month ago. I, I'm blanking I on her remember. name, but we, there is a you know the anta the main antagonist of the of the book. All she wants to do is prevent the story from ending. Like, that is her whole, you know, endgame. And it's something that all of us as readers can totally attribute, is we mm -hmm. never want the story to end. And that's something that, you know, you know, as much as, you know, we want to find fault with her, I couldn't. I mean, obviously, yeah, I don't want to go out murdering people and that kind of stuff. But, like, everything she did was because she never wanted the stories to end. Um, even if it meant, hey, this is just the end of the book and here's the next one. She was, she just never wanted this book to end, this story to be over. Yeah. It was just very clear that, um, the author is a reader first and a writer second. And because, you know, some writers like you, I'm, you know, I'm sure they all read books as well, but that is obviously a priority to her. And she just made that so abundantly clear throughout this book. Not that the writing was subpar at all, because it was incredible, and oh, yeah. I would read anything this woman writes. Um, but it's just, it was really cool to feel seen in that way, to feel like someone else understood what it's like to care so much about stories, and then to somehow form it into words, whereas I can't. You know, like, she was able to put that in a story herself, mm -hmm. and the Night Circus, I'm, I'm going to keep talking about this because I'm obsessed with it. It's The Night Circus is a similar feel. And so you like you can just tell like that is an important thing to her in all of her books is to just convey this love of stories. So speaking of storytelling, 
Star OC is, like we said, all about the sanctity of storytelling. So do you prefer to keep your books on your shelves in super nice, pristine condition, or do you like them looking a little well-loved and worn in? Okay, first off, well-loved and worn in is totally okay if it's because you're just reading the book over and over or often over a course of period of time. What is unacceptable is folding the corners in. Thank you. Like, <laughs> like it, like the, like, like I, we all grew up, you know, Hey, never write in your books, like textbooks. And then when you go to like, like college, they're like, Oh, right. Mark up all in it. I could never do it. <laughs> like I couldn't, <laughs> but I just, I could like, even when I annotate, you know, parts of a story, I do that on, like, a separate sheet of paper. <laughs> like, I don't do it on my book because uh, to me, books are sacred to me. Mm-hmm. They are important, and to alter it by writing in a note or something to me, that is just sacrilegious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds a little weird, but it's, it is what it is. So you're okay with them looking well-loved as long as it's because you personally loved the book and reread it several times. Or I've loaned it to people and they read it. Like I have a couple right. of books that, you know, are hand-me-downs that I got from other people that, okay, the bindings are kind of falling apart a little bit. That, that There's nothing wrong with that. You you get, you wait, you kind of let it come out a little bit and then you get it rebound or you just take a little more extra care with it. But that's just a mark of a book that has been read and shared amongst so many people or even just revisited by the same person who has such passion for it but to have a book that's been corners folded down highlighted written in to me I'm just like that takes away the magic of that book I I don't know if that makes any sense but yeah well it kind of takes away from your first experience with it because especially if you're reading something like let's say you're one to write in your books and highlight and take notes and things and then I borrow a book from you well then as I'm reading it I'm reading your notes which to some people this might be a good thing you know like I I think it's completely subjective but to me it would take away from like what I might have seen as a really important chapter or a really important paragraph if I'm really noticing it because you'd already marked it and I've on <laughs> funny I saw someone kind of complaining about this in talking about Kindles and how when you like get a book on your Kindle it will show you like it'll basically underline a certain sentence and be like oh 1000 people have highlighted the sentence and so then you're like well but why and then you click on it and you know like it it just puts that in your head that like bias of like oh this must be important whereas it may or may not have been otherwise. Or you see a line that isn't underlined when others are, and you think, oh, well, this one's not as good, even though it might have really meant something to you. So, See, I have a Nook, so we don't have that feature. And I I, I love that I don't have that feature. And, I mean, once again, I don't mark anything. Because, I mean, let's be real, your mom has my Nook password. (laughs) Like, she does. No shame. It happens. Come on, y'all. Y- y'all, be share- y'all be sharing Netflix passwords out there. Like, okay, you know what? She she has treated me to a lot of things over the course of my life. <laughs> I owe her a couple of damn books. 
Um, so, but yeah, she definitely reads it. So that's another reason I don't mark anything in there. Um, unless I know. You mean you're not highlighting raunchy pa- uh, passages for her to go see later on that you. <laughs> I mean, not that would be like a hilarious idea, but I feel like I would kind of get. <laughs> no, I don't think I'd get in trouble. She'd probably just call me and be like, Sean. What She'd are like, you doing? I love that passage too. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Probably. And she's like, let us get some drinks and let's really talk about this. <laughs> Margarita, please. Thank you. And I'd be like, make it a double. <laughs> like just, just, oh, get like my 44 ounce margarita on. <laughs> no, my mom has been very supportive of all this. And she always tries to read the books that we're doing for our, our book clubs so she can participate. And we really appreciate that. And we're willing to let her borrow the books from us if that means she gets to read them without having to pay for them. So for me and my books, I've, I've gone on a, a bit of a journey with my, my books in my room. So when I first moved to Nashville, I was living in a dorm where obviously there's not a ton of space. So majority of my books that I had at home, which I, growing up, I wasn't one to keep books. We were big on the library, you know, so we could borrow them, take them back or I'd Honestly, I borrowed all of Sean's books, so yes. I didn't <laughs> I didn't own a ton of my own. I had like a shelf or two, but so when I moved to college, I didn't take a ton with me because I just didn't have a space for them. Um, but then I found the magic that is McKay's. Oh, Sean, Sean knows McKay's. <laughs> it's basically our used bookstore, but it is just the most well organized and easy to navigate used bookstore I think I've ever been in and I love it and the prices are great too so can't go wrong so I started adding to my library um but I was on a budget because obviously I'm in college you know I'm working only a couple hours a week and so the books that I did get I was more focused on quantity over quality I any books especially classics because I didn't read a ton of those growing up I felt like I needed to go back and read some of those and so anytime I was at like a Goodwill or a thrift store or McKay's or anywhere that sells used books and I found one that I had heard of and thought I should read or that I had read and loved, I would go ahead and buy it. So, you know, you're paying five cents or 50 cents or a couple dollars for a book, but it might have someone's name written on the outside of it because it was, you know, a book they read for school or it's dog-eared or just yellowed from age, just not well taken care of. So as I got, you know, out of college and was, you know, had a real job and could afford to buy actual books, now I'm more focused on nice quality books. And I, I still buy paperbacks sometimes, but I'm starting to buy more hardbacks. And the different book subscriptions I'm a part of, they all send hardbacks. And so right now I would say my library is probably half nice quality books and half okay or just, yeah, <laughs> kind of, yeah quality so but I did not too long ago go through and get rid of a bunch that were just really really junky copies that I've gotten from Goodwill and stuff over the years and I didn't throw them away they're just set aside in my attic for now until I decide until I get replacements for them basically so I have like a list and now when I'm in the stores I look for nice replacements to the ones that I already have but are just not high quality so but I'm the same way I do not dog ear books I'm very very avidly against it <laughs> so um I but I'll use anything as a bookmark I mean anything a, receipt, a tag a piece of paper 
uh, a piece of yarn. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'll use anything. Uh, so can't be picky when it comes to that. Oh, uh, boarding passes for flights. Those make great bookmarks. So a lot of times I'll use my boarding pass and then I just keep that one until I go on another flight. And then I switch my old one out for that one. <laughs> I have a million actual bookmarks, but I very rarely use those. I, I just, know, right? They're never with you when you need it. <laughs> I've got like 10 of them on my shelf over here, but I'm never, I don't know. Usually I'm out and about when I'm reading. So yeah, long story short. I like them. I also like the well-loved thing as long as it's well-loved by me and my people, you know, not like just worn out because I was cheap and bought a used copy. (laughs) Okay. So you're presented with multiple doors and each one has an image on it, a key, a sword, a bee, a crown, a heart, and a feather. And then a door that will take you back home. Which one do you pick? Personally, I'm going to go with key. And I feel like you could have guessed that because I've recently gotten into (laughs) video games again after not playing for probably a decade and have been playing King of Hearts, which is all about keys and the key blade. So, I mean, I've always been partial to keys, but now especially. I like keys. (laughs) What about you? Honestly, yeah. The key. Yeah? Because of Kingdom Hearts? Because of Kingdom Hearts. That, you know, Lindsay, you don't know this because you haven't been, you know, you haven't played through all the games yet. But um, one of the phrases that becomes, you know, kind of a big thing in the game is, may your heart be your guiding key. And, you know, that's just like a simple little phrase that, you know, on one hand, tacky, you know, very tacky. But on the <laughs> other hand, it has I a lot of... I think you mean corny, right? Corny, yes. Not, yeah, okay. Very corny, but it has like a lot of meaning. Um, always loved keys because they're, uh, you know, one of the things we learned in this book is about symbols. <laughs> mm-hmm. Symbols are up to interpretation. They are not necessarily meant to be complete representations, which is another like, super huge thing, which is also kind of a comment to to literary critics who are always going back and reading the classics and trying to find meaning out of this, that, and the other. She had red lipstick. Well, red means she was a whore. Um, she, you know, I mean, like... <laughs> Like, they'll find meaning in all these minor details when it's like, nah, she just picked up red lipstick because that's what they bought later. Yeah, or like, oh, the cur- they described the curtains as blue, and it's because of the depression of the era. And it's like, nah, they just liked blue, and so the curtains were blue. You know, like, it doesn't It, it, it wasn't even, like, dark blue. It was, like, a light sky blue. <laughs> like, you were watching Toy Story. <laughs> like, like, the clouds. And, of course, <laughs> the books that people are analyzing, I mean, it's authors that are no longer alive. So, like, they can't refute or agree with whatever people are saying, you know? So, I'm sure there's a lot of ways that we're kind of adding meaning where there isn't, but that's the cool thing about stories is it it is what you make of it. Mm -hmm. So I could, you know, read the same book as you and think those types of things are important and really, you know, see like, Oh man, those blue curtains, both the depression and man, that's, that's really interesting. And like really get more out of that than you might. 
whereas there might be something that you find really uh, just, I don't know, intriguing that I don't. And so I just, I love how subjective and just how personal reading is. Like, even though you might both love the same story, you're going to love it for different reasons. And that's just, I, I could talk all the, day about the, This stories. book is just about people's love of books. Like, it ultimately, the, the I mean, if you took away the, that what the narrative actually was. This book, but it's not just books, stories in general. Stories. In it is all form. about people's love of story. And um, I know this kind of goes up a little bit, but one of the most intriguing stories in this book was the story about the innkeeper. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this there's innkeeper and a woman walks in and she, you know, she stays for a little while. And the two of them chat and, you know, hang out a little bit. He, you know, he offers her basically like free room and board because it's like a dangerous storm out there. And he's just like, hey, you know, it's fine. Just, you know, stay here. It's totally good. Don't worry. You have to, you know, I'm not going to charge you. You're obviously, you know, trying to not, you know, be out in the freezing storm. And he tells her the story on why the wind howls. And she loves the story. And she goes, and at one point she goes, well, why do you think the wind howls? And he goes, it really depends on who you ask. You ask some people, it's because the wind longs to be with the mountain. You, you mean, and so he just tells her this. And so she starts to fall in love with him. And you later find out she is the moon. And that this, you know, every, what, 500 years or so, the sun and the moon both disappear from the sky. And they meet somewhere to talk. This guy just happened to be the lucky innkeeper where the sun and moon were going to meet. Lit, I mean, with no idea that the moon would fall in love with this man. Um, other stories like the, you know, fate and time falling in love together. Hmm. Um, that yes. was a great one. <laughs> and how the stars in the moon basically talked for a little bit. And they just, and the, when the moon was gone, the stars basically killed fate. And time just stood there waiting for fate to be put back together so they could be reunited before being ripped apart again. I mean, these are like stories of personifications of nature, but it's actually story, you know, a love story. It's a story that, you know, random people who are going through the Starless Sea in the library, hearing of the love between certain characters and... (laughs) You know, their legendary love that basically is like reincarnated spirits. And they're like, there's no other love like this. They must be, they must possess a supernatural love. One of beyond time and fate, beyond death, beyond nature. And that's what I really liked about this is that they took a simple, like, well, not so simple, but a relationship and they put so much on it that they created all of these stories that somehow are about just these two people. Yeah. I I just have no words for how much I love this book (laughs) and all of the, like you said, fate and time and the moon and destiny. And I mean, literally two characters get lost in time, literally. (laughs) It's just so cool. Um, I just, I can't even put into words, like, what it was like reading this. Okay, real quick, I do have to ask. I 
busted out laughing anytime the girl with the bunny mask was there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought she was adorable, even she as an adult. Cute. And, yeah. she, you know, even when she gave up her name, which was originally Eleanor mm-hmm. and became Lenore, now it's whoever, whatever her name is. But I just, I loved her. She, like. <laughs> she was good. Well, just her whole story, which is, that's the Ballad of Simon and Eleanor, which is one of the books. It was just, I don't know. That it was great. Well, yeah. I won't elaborate for now because that's a later question. <laughs> um, so, like you said earlier, Zachary attends a literary costume party. So, if you were going to a literary costume party, who would you dress up as? Okay, y'all. One, I would... Pr- the first... I have a couple I would dress up as. One, I would probably dress up as maybe a, like, steampunk... Or maybe a gothic version of the Mad Hatter. Oh, okay. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. That would be cool. Like, for real. Like, yeah. Like, I wouldn't do both. Like, one or the other. Probably. I, I think steampunk. Steampunk would be pretty cool. But if not steampunk, maybe a gothic Mad Hatter. Like, I feel like that would be just, like, real just cool. like a really emo one. Like, bring back the, like, early 2000s hardcore. Okay, here. What, what's your first one? We'll just alternate. Okay, so my go-to is always to pick redheaded characters because I am a redhead. So um, the easy one is Jenny Weasley. She's I've been her for Halloween I don't know how many times. She's just such a great character, and the movies did not do her justice. So go read the books if you haven't already, and you will love Jenny as much as I do. But she's my first pick. So my second pick is Ford Prefect. From Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. My all-time favorite book. <laughs> and because uh, it is Lindsay's favorite book, but also he is just eccentric in a way that's similar to me. <laughs> yeah, he has time travel, and or maybe not time travel, space travel and all sorts of stuff. He also has a towel. He has a towel, you guys. <laughs> He's prepared. He is prepared for everything. And this isn't like towel from South Park. This is just a towel. And I don't know. I absolutely love just his eccentric, like eccentric nature. He's like, okay, let's, you know, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then his matter of factness sometimes just cracks me up. <laughs> yeah, he's very blunt. <laughs> oh, he's such a good character. Um, uh, so if you're going to be Ford, then I have to be Trillian because she's really the only female character in that whole story to be honest <laughs> <laughs> but also zoe de chanel plays her in the movie so like that's a win just get some heavy bangs you know <laughs> okay well in that case as you kind of like piggyback off to my second option what was your third option so my third is yet another redheaded character and one that i some people love some people hate personally i love and that's sansa stark from the game of thrones yeah i think she's such a boss and such a just a neat character and you just see so much growth in her throughout the series and and half that growth you don't even see coming and you're just like hitting the face with it yeah so i'm a big sansa fan and so yeah that's my last one um i have no idea who my third one would be no Oh. Hmm. 
Like I think that like the, the Mad Hatter one is cool. What are a few of your cool. favorite books? Um, Mad Hatter would be cool. Hitchhikers would be good. Because uh, literary character has to be someone that people can identify people recognize. with. Who would they would know? So I mean, like she. I mean, Homegirl went dressed up as Max from Where the Wild Things Are, and nobody knew who she was. Like yeah. I, feel, I feel like that would draw like a lot of attention to me. And I think we all know I don't like that. <laughs> I would be like, stop looking at me. I'm going to change now. Yeah. Um, I would probably try to do some sort of unique, possibly unique, I don't know, and uh, a possibly unique interpretation of a fairy tale character. So maybe I would do something like, I don't know, like a... Okay, have you seen the show uh, uh, Lucifer? No. Okay, well then. Maybe I would do something <laughs> that would be... Uh, everyone else who's listening, who's you know a normal person, would have seen part oh, of that show. Shots fired. Um, yeah. <laughs> but imagine like like doing a Rumpelstiltskin-like character who dressed like Jay Gatsby. So not Rumpelstiltskin from Once Upon a Time? <laughs> no, but I'm talking about like nice sleek suit... Like, look, looking classy. Ooh, be Hook from Once Upon a Time. That'd be a good one. No, I can't pull off Hook. Why not? Because I'm Don't already... Have the Irish gr- accent my, my hair is already gray and I can't pull off Hook. His hair is perfect. His hair Everything is, about him it, is perfect, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> eh, he, I mean, not my type. Uh, well, that's okay, because he's everyone else's type. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, you can have him. Okay, thanks. Okay, so the, the, the question we've been, like, dodging all night. I've <laughs> been dancing around it. Which stories did you enjoy the most? Okay, so let's just, I'm going to read them off real quick so people know. So there's Sweet Sorrows, Fortunes and Fables, The Ballad of Simon and Eleanor, Written in the Stars, The Owl King, and The Secret Diary of Katrina Hawkins. So my personal favorite is probably The Ballad of Simon and Eleanor, but also I whichever one had the innkeeper in it. I don't remember which one it was. <laughs> was that um, Written in I the Stars? I believe or that Fortunes and one Fables? was uh, Written in the Stars because um, it had to do with the moon. Because the yeah. moon later had to deal with uh, t- time and fate, and then had to make deal with death and time to help, and then all that stuff. So I think that's part of written in the stars. Okay, so those were my two favorites. Um, I did also really love though, just like the way she wrote these in general was. Majority of them didn't have like names. Like the characters are the pirate and the girl or the innkeeper, and I just thought or that was a really even cool... better for Zachary. His, 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 he stopped being referred to as Zachary and started being referred to as the son of the fortune teller. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I don't, it added just like cool, mysterious level to everything, which I loved. So, which were your favorites? I, okay, so I loved so many of these. Mm-hmm. Um, the Owl King, because it had a little level of like, like a, a, a mystique to it that the others didn't. Cause I mean, each one of these is basically they're written very subtly different styles. Like some of them are like different, somewhat different genres. 
um, I, I did like the Owl King and how he kept kind of popping up. At the end, you know, there's like, there's always a king, an Owl King. You know, when one falls, the you know, there's another one to take its place. But mm-hmm. it's not always an owl. Not always a king. Sometimes, like... he, sometimes he's a metaphor. And I'm just like, it, I like died <laughs> out of the number of times they would just go, sometimes they're a metaphor. And I'm like, what? <laughs> well, it's kind of like in Princess Bride, like the Dread Pirate Roberts. You yes. Know? Like it's the name lives on, but it's like different people that take that place, you know, that position. Like what matters is the name, not the what who the person is, you know. So that's kind of what that reminded me of. Uh, yeah, I definitely loved the Owl King. I, I honestly really liked the secret diary of Katrina Hawkins because it was an epilogue but at the same time it felt like reading like a spy thriller mm-hmm. um like like i said each one of these very subtly different writing styles i mean with this one it's her writing a diary um and it's just you know i just i, I loved how diverse all of these stories were and how they connected together each one of them had some sort of connection to the main plot, even if it was just a description of the acolyte and, you know, oh, this is the sign that they, you know, this is the hand signal that they make to say thank you or something like that. That all well, of We it did end up meeting back. one of the acolytes, didn't we? Um, we did meet one of the acolytes and uh, her name was, uh, oof, I've already forgot, Rhyme. Mm, yeah. Her name Rhyme. was Rhyme and... Uh, Zachary performed that thank you sign to Rhyme, and she smiled. Like, she really appreciated that. And at first, he, he, you know, he did it, and he's like, oh, my God, what if I, like, that wasn't really the correct thing to do? <laughs> he just offended her. <laughs> he's awkward, and I love it. <laughs> um, one thing I did like, though, and that's, this is something that I think even with other books, is that Zach was gay. But mm-hmm. his sexuality was just, it really wasn't an important fact at all in the story. It wasn't a book about him, like, figuring out his sexuality or, like, it was, it was just, a, he happened to be gay. It's I mean, a it story was. story about his adventure and that's just a part of him. It's not about that, which I thought was really great. Well, which I loved because, like, so many, you know, stories where it's not a very heterosexual, you know, thing you know it becomes a huge part of the plot and then this one it really didn't yeah it was such a small minute fact that you would you'd be like oh okay whatever just like you would would be with any other pairing or grouping or person or character and I really liked how she wrote him that way where it was just okay this is just like you know and she said it like half like offhandedly and just left it at that. She did not make it um like the important part of the story, like so many others will. And yeah, it and wasn't even his coming out story or him, you know, it just she made him a three dimensional regular human. Because like even at the end, he sits there, you know, preparing to close the book, knowing or, no close the story, knowing that that means he's gonna die. And what does he do? He asks the bees who who are able to like control reality and he goes you know what fate owes me one last dance and he dances with fate and he talks to her 
which he did at the very beginning. And so I'm just like, you know, it's about friendship. It's about, you know, all these things. And they made such a small fact about him, simply that, a small fact about him. It wasn't his entire character. And that was, to me, I loved that. Because there's so many times where you find the token gay, token lesbian, token whoever character, and that tokenism is the entirety of their character. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, this is the first book I can think of. I, I mean, there probably have been others where that is kind of the case, but this is the first one I've read recently, at least, where um, that wasn't a major part of the plot for any of the characters. Or you wasn't know, like, a major part of their personality. Like, yeah. Yeah, they were just a human being first who happened to be gay, not a gay person. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> it's just... Um, he was a person first you know he he wasn't defined by his sexuality he was defined as like he he wasn't even defined he was like oh i'm doing this and you're just on the journey with him just like you would be if it was you know a female protagonist in love with a man yeah which i think it's important to see actual like coming out stories as well and people figuring like coming of age kind of like figuring their stuff out stories but it's also important to see this to see it normalized and not made into this big thing like not every book has to have that whole aspect of it you can just be what you are and it already be an established part of the story without having to go into such detail yeah how you got there like the character does not need to come out to the audience right like the character is who they are and that's what i loved about this mm-hmm. she she just said oh this is who he is that's it. That's the end no of the story. And I loved that because once again, it normalizes it. Right. So happy pride month guys. <laughs> oh my God. That actually kind of works. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I, well, like I said, this is supposed to be like our August book. And because of <laughs> well, lucky my here. poor schedule, I read it too early. So this is a coincidence, but yeah, you know, like happy pride. Woo-hoo. While we're talking about pride, what other books featuring, um, like LBGTQ characters are you a big fan of? Now you're putting me on the spot because <laughs> well, I now can go first if you like, want okay, all of my books y'all are packed away in crates because I finally got the keys to my condo seeing as you know, the, the, they cleaned everything up from the fire that had happened upstairs and, and the upstairs literally unit, a year ago. It's been over a year and we're just moving back. And so like, none of my books are out and that's usually when Lindsay asks me questions like this I can look at the books and be like okay that one that one that one but now you're asking me and I don't have the visual in front of me so I'm like oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay well one of mine I'll start is well I have two to start with first of all Simon versus the homo sapien agenda such <laughs> a great book oh I just loved it and the good movie, movie is, adaptation oh my gosh one of my favorite like adaptations of a book I am always like a bigger fan of the book than the movie but this was pretty even you know like they were both so so good and the kind of sequel companion series just came out not too long ago love victor so planning on watching that soon but i highly recommend that book and i also really loved uh, one that i read recently i think it came out end of last year maybe but it's called red white and royal blue i don't think you've read this one so i don't i'm not going to say much about it but it's great well, so, go ahead. Give us a little. Give us a little something. Okay, so basically, 
the your protagonist is oh i don't remember his name i read it a while ago but anyways he's he's the son of the first woman president so like hell yeah to that um and he's you know in his early 20s and um known for dating around and he ends up befriending the prince of england who like they're both the same age and I don't feel like this is a spoiler, but they end up developing a relationship and it's just so sweet and so good. And just such a funny, heartwarming story. Um, and I think they're making a sequel. I really hope they're making a sequel, but uh, I'm not positive. And then one more because now I'm on a roll. <laughs> and this is one that I've been telling you forever to read. Carry On by Rainbow Rowell. I, I think I may have even, like, given you a copy of this, didn't I? Yeah, you got me the, the first one and the sequel. I just haven't yeah. gotten to it yet. <laughs> what are you doing with your life? <laughs> so this is... Uh, <laughs> I was very offended when I first heard about this book. And it's because it's almost like a Harry Potter parody. Which I was not okay with. Because, obviously, Harry Potter is very, very close to my heart. And so then I she rainbow Rowell was coming to town i've read a couple of her other books and i enjoyed them so she was coming to town for a book tour for her new book which is a sequel to carry on wayward son and i was like well i'd really like to go to this you know book signing to get some of my other books signed and just meet the author because i love that kind of thing but i haven't read carry on and i know that they're going to talk about carry on and the signing comes with a copy of wayward son so i was like i, I just need to finally sit down and read it and I did, and oh my gosh, <laughs> so good. Like, both the, like, romantic side of it and just the magical system in this book is just mind-blowing. It's so creative, so clever. Um, so, yeah, I highly recommend that one as well. If you were into the Harry Draco fan fiction, then this is the book for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, one is... Uh... Let me pull it up. I just had it up. Is uh, Will Grayson, Will Grayson? I have um, that one, but I haven't read it. I think that's the only John Green book I haven't read. I'm a huge John Green fan. Yes. So that one is a very good one. And then Lindsay knows I'm a huge fan of um, the Rick Riordan se- uh, books. Uh, he he wrote the Percy Jackson series. Um, One, one of the characters... Um, well, there's actually a couple of characters I you know, really do like, um, Nico, who is the son of Hades. You don't find out about him being gay until the sequel series. And it's literally like the fourth and fifth book where he actually like accepts it. And, you know, his biggest thing was he was actually from a different time period. He was actually from the twenties and he was basically trapped in a hotel where time stood still. And so, you know, he was getting used to the modern world, and but still felt shame. So reading it from his perspective, like, you know, it, it, it was, it, reading about, especially like this kid, it kind of was d- tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a more positive note, in the sequel to all those Percy Jackson series, like, there was a sequel, now a third sequel called Trials of Apollo. The main character is actually Apollo. And he is well-known in mythology for being bisexual, like me. And he, you know, over the, over his, you know, flashbacks and previous memories, you, you, we get to hear the stories of, you know, all of his lovers. Um, 
and he said, and he's very like open about it to the audience at least. And I really liked that. And there's one character who is Alex Fierro, which is uh, uh, from Magnus Chase, uh, which is a spinoff of the uh, the Percy Jackson books, but it's about uh, uh, Norse mythology. Alex is uh, gender fluid. And I really like the way that Alex kind of forced... You know, first off, broke a stereotype because they kind of had a negative term for Alex and was like, no, you you will not call me that. And then basically was very, you know, open with everyone else going, you know, whenever Alex entered the room and it was like, you know, different day or something like that. Hey, I'm Alex. My pronouns are she and her today. And, you know, that that's how Alex would you know, enter a room, enter a conversation with people who may have been, you know, gone for most of the day or whatever. Or, you know, later on after they just, you know, nearly died, um, would be like, okay, I'm he and him right now. Like, I, I like the way that um, Alex was like, this is just who I am, but also refused to be the poster child for all gender fluid people or all people who are LGBT. Just sat there and said, you know, even straight up would tell people who would ask questions going, well, this is my experience, but I don't speak for everyone. Other people have their own words, their own thoughts. Don't use me as a representation of my entire, um, the entire umbrella of people. I'm not a representative of everyone. And I liked that about Alex, especially because Alex was only like, I think uh, in the series, 15, 16 years old. So to sit there and be like, this is who I am, but don't, you know, don't not judge everyone else who may be similar to me just like I am. Yeah. I, I liked that. There, there was a really mature, you know, sense of identity that a lot of people don't have even as they grow up. Yeah. Um, yeah, just really, really enjoyed reading those characters, especially because Rick Rorden, he, you know, he used to be a teacher. Like I have, I have a, I have, I have a lot of respect for him as an author, because a lot of what he writes about is the problems facing the youth, um, including like one of the big things in at least the Magnus Chase series is just the amount of issues with uh, teenage homelessness, um, especially for members of the LGBTQ community. I mean, this is just a a regular guy who wrote stories for his kids about, you know, dyslexic and ADHD, you know, kids who saved the world because his own kids were dyslexic and had ADHD. Like, this is just, this is just a regular guy. That's what the Percy Jackson series was all about. Like, it was written because of his kids. And I'm just like, a, a, a guy who goes out of his way to write a huge story and then shares it with the world and then with every other spinoff he writes he addresses racism he addresses all these things that the youth of america are facing like to me i I just find that astonishing i have so much respect for him yeah that was cool i thought of one other book when you were talking about the gender fluidity and um it's in the arc of a scythe series i don't remember which book in the series specifically, but one of the characters 
is um, also gender fluid, and basically they are feminine on the sea and masculine on land, and which because they're not a pirate but like a sailor, and so they you know are like splitting their time between land and sea, and I just thought that was so fun to you know like to know like well the sea makes me feel really feminine, and so on the sea on the ocean I'm a woman, but then on land I'm not. So I just I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I'm also sure. Also recommend that series. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty more that I could think of if I had my books in front of me and I could like look at them. Right now I just have a Wikipedia list that I'm like <laughs> going through of books and I'm like, do I have I read this book? Have I not? <laughs> um, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. We were just talking about it, so I I was curious which ones you enjoyed. Yeah. But, uh, so back to our actual book that we're talking about, The Starless Sea. Uh, what were your thoughts on this writing style, for, like Aaron Morgenstern's style? To me, this was just a beautiful, like, writer's project. Of She got to write different, like, different genres. She got to write in different styles where one of them was simply, you know, a straight word, like, an oral storytelling, where another one was someone writing their own thoughts down. And then other ones were... It, you know, a third person point of view versus first person. Like she got to go all over the place and then she got to write stuff in a mythological base, something, you know, some, uh, date, you know, era pieces. She got to write something like, you know, a thriller kind of mood. She got to like, she was, she got to write an experiment with so many styles and made, but made it all one book. I'm astounded. I loved it. I was entranced reading this book mm-hmm. because that's the best word for it. Like I was entranced, and like every story, even though it felt like a sidestep, it connected very well. Because I mean, it's only at the beginning where it's like a little open, where it's like you know you have the non-Zachary sections, where it's like for every two sec or two chapters without Zachary, there was one with him, and then slowly becomes okay. Every other chapter is a Zachary chapter or Zachary slash Dorian or Dorian, you know, the main narrative. And Mm -hmm. I I liked that. It was a good, it was very good pacing. Yeah, I agree. Um, This whole book just felt like being in moonlight to me. Like just something like, like you're looking at the stars and it's just, the perfect night you know like nothing about this felt like daytime it wasn't didn't give me like the spring vibes like the let's go hang out in the field no this was like nighttime it's you know it felt like about yeah i mean even for me like like, slow i I was reading this book during like when i you know at work and like you know when things are slow and i mean i just felt like this is the kind of book that just made me feel like i was out on a patio on a cool night like, it's not really breezy, but it's cool outside. Just sitting on your patio, reading at night with a, mm-hmm. you know, with a small light on. Yeah. It just and felt very relaxing. Yeah. I mean, I could feel my heart rate going down as I read. <laughs> like, it was just so For real, though. Like, even when things and... started getting, like, you know, when action started happening, I felt relaxed reading this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... It's really hard to explain <laughs> without reading it, but it's just, yeah, entranced is definitely a good word for it. It just, I, I think it was like being, um, oh shoot, what's the word? Uh, where you get 
Um, Hypnotized? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that just from my my hand gestures, you could tell what I was trying to say. <laughs> well, Lindsay, you know from experience, we have like our telepathy. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, for all of y'all who want to invite us out to parties where you play like charades or guessing games, know you will lose. Because we once played a game where it was like, guess that movie, and you had only list words. It couldn't rhyme, couldn't have the word in the title. And how many movies did we go through? We went through 43 cards. <laughs> I love and that you remember that. <laughs> it was like, no, I remember because it was like 43 cards because we ran out of cards. Yeah. <laughs> because like other cards had already been used. But we ran out of cards because we were so on point. We had what? It was like two, two and a half minutes or something like that. And I was on point. I was like shark bait, (laughs) hoo-ha-ha, you went Nemo. (laughs) Like, like we were on point. Like, like even movies that I knew Lindsay had not seen. I was like, shark movie, you haven't seen it. You went Jaws. And I'm like, there we go. Um... Like, I was like... what happens when you're two halves of the same soul. (laughs) We are. At one point, I was like, okay... When we watched Psych, they had a whole episode about this person's writing and he's, or this person's films. And he is most known for this one where it goes, er, er, er. Lindsay's like, oh, Psycho. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, we have magic powers here. We do. And <laughs> if you want to segue, we could talk about the mafia story. You remember that? Oh my God, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't segue. We gotta, we gotta halt it up. We're already hitting no. the hour mark. No, we can quickly segue. So, <laughs> Sean's got a huge family, and so anytime all the aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody are in town, we play Mafia. If you haven't played Mafia, go look it up. It's a great game. I don't so, know. Is it online? I don't know. Whatever. Go. I'm ahead. sure you could Google it. I mean, it, it's not like a family game. Like I'd played Mafia with other people before, so it's well known enough that like you can Google it and find the rules. But anyways, so the whole idea is like three people get. Or two people get a certain card, and then and it's secret. Like no one knows what kind of what card you have, and what card you have means a certain thing. So Sean and I were both in the mafia. We're the only two in the room that are in the mafia, right? And okay, let me just tell you: when she says I have a big family, I have a big family. When we play mafia, there's like thirty of us in the room. Yeah. So out of all thirty of us, only Sean and I are in the mafia for this round. But we'd let Sean's younger sister. This is her first time, quote unquote, narrating the round. And so we ended up having to reshuffle. So like at this point, Sean and I have already established like, oh yeah, we're in the mafia. We gave each other the look. We know. We, we already know? had plotted which people we're going to kill. Like who, what part family members we're going to like force against each other. What like And again, no words have set. been exchanged. <laughs> like we just, <laughs> from a look, we know what our plan is. And so then we end up having to reshuffle the cards before we even like started the round. And so we, <laughs> we get him all passed out again. And Sean is in the mafia this time, but I am not. But I give him the look of like, oh, yeah, we're, we're both in again. And, then as soon and as I, started, I remember because I was shocked. And I looked at you and I went, really? The betrayal, I know. Oh. I still feel bad about this. And but... she immediately called me out. She went, Sean's in it. Literally, as soon as we started, I said, oh, Sean's in the mafia and got him kicked out. <laughs> so that's the one time I have used our powers for evil. <laughs> oh, man. Mm. Anyways, do <laughs> you have anything else you want to say about Starless Sea? Um, just an amazing book that I just fell in love with, to be honest, because it's like we said, it, it's about the love of stories. 
it, it ultimately comes down to that, and I love it. But this is like a great time for us to introduce next month's book. All right. As some of you guys might know, 2020 has been an odd year. <laughs> and so one of the things that has been really interesting about this year has been kind of the, I don't know, throwback to like our middle school days <laughs> with like different bands coming back, different books. So one of those authors is Suzanne Collins, who has decided to write a prequel to her very famous Hunger Games trilogy. So we are reading The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. Here's the little synopsis. It is the morning of the reaping that will kick off the 10th annual Hunger Games. In the capital, 18-year-old Coriolanus Snow is preparing for his one shot at glory as a mentor in the games. The once mighty House of Snow has fallen on hard times, its fate hanging on the slender chance that Coriolanus will be able to outcharm, outwit, and outmaneuver his fellow students to mentor the winning tribute. The odds are against him. He's been given the humiliating assignment of mentoring the female tribute from District 12, the lowest of the low. Their fates are now completely intertwined. Every choice Coriolanus makes could lead to favor or failure, triumph or ruin. Inside the arena, it will be a fight to the death. Outside the arena, Coriolanus starts to feel for his doomed tribute and must weigh his need to follow the rules against his desire to survive no matter what it takes. Ambition will fuel him, competition will drive him, but power has its price. <laughs> Love that ending line. So, I'm excited to hear your thoughts because I've already read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, y'all listen. Lindsay keeps reading these like two months ahead of schedule, I'm sorry. and I'm trying. I'm trying to be like Lindsay. We can't be doing this. <laughs> yeah, well, this one. I mean, it, I read it when it came out because there were spoilers all over the internet, and I didn't want things to get spoiled, so I had to go ahead and read it. Well, that's what we do in uh, next month. So all of y'all pick up a copy of songbirds and snakes if you haven't already or just join us in on the uh, conversations that we post on uh, facebook and instagram uh, until next time all right thanks for joining bye guys